Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week, your audio almanac of all the fish. It's Monday, October 16th, 2023, and we're on a week-by-week tour of fish across the country with guests from all walks of life. I'm Katrina Liebick with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Hero, and this week's fish was the 64th Governor of Maine and the 58th Secretary of State. It's the fish of 10,000 casts, it's the muskie. We've got two guests, Jordan Weeks from the Wisconsin DNR and Brian Herwig with the Minnesota DNR. And I'm looking forward to hearing which state has the bigger muskies, not including the Hayward, Wisconsin giant muskie. (laughs) But we'll ease into that. And we're just really happy you both could join us. So welcome. Muskies are not the first isasid we've covered, but we did want to start with basically the best description you can muster about what this fish looks like and what really stands out about it. Well, sort of a a long pointy snout. It's a a very large fish, tends to have light coloration and sort of dark markings on top of that. Tends to be a little pointier fins than our other native assassin northern pike. So lots of nice sharp teeth in that mouth as well. Yeah. Okay. Jordan, anything to add? My description of the muskie would be like a green railroad tie with fins. And those are the ones that we actually like to see around here. You're the ones that are nice and stocky and Kind of built like a torpedo, meant for speed, ambush predator. They are one of the most charismatic megafauna that there's swimming in the water. They really are like a torpedo. They got all those fins kind of towards the back and can just kind of lunge out. Can you tell us a little more about the mouth and the size of these fish? They're quite impressive. You hear musky anglers talk about their mouth. It looks like a white bucket when it opens up to eat their bait or when they see them mm-hmm. eat another fish. And so that's kind of the best way to describe it. A shovel-shaped head with hundreds of teeth inside. And they're meant to grab their prey and take care of it real quickly. Looking at kind of that big bucket, what's the biggest size ball you could fit in their mouth just to give people a idea of size? Like are we talking softball? Like I'm thinking almost like football size. Football, okay. Yeah. There's a, some interesting, you know, phenotypes with muskies as well. So like, in my opinion, and I don't think this is backed up by science, but my opinion <laughs> is that those leech lake fish in Minnesota have really big heads. Our fish in Wisconsin tend to have a really small head and a small tail. And the fish that I've caught in Minnesota, they are the exact opposite. Their heads are enormous and their tails are enormous. I I would agree with Brian in that an NFL football pretty easily in some of those 50-inch fish. I don't know that I've seen one. I'd like to see one that you could put a basketball in. A football. Um, (laughs) The literature says they can eat things up to about, you know, half their length almost. Dang. So... I guess it depends on the the actual girth of that particular prey food, but yeah. So you're talking about these color a little bit and you compared them to Northern Pike and Northern Pike, you know, they're always kind of that dark color with those white beans along them. Whereas when I see muskie, you kind of have a whole lot of variation. Sometimes they're just plain or clear. Sometimes they got bars. Sometimes they got spots. Is that different waters where just different geographic areas where you find these different patterns or is it based on the turbidity of the water or how does that happen? I think there is some, you know, geographic component to that. You know, the clear form tends to be pretty common in inland lakes. The spotted form more common in the Great Lake Muskie and barred more in the Ohio River and St. Lawrence River, Lake Ontario. Okay. Yeah, I would say generally the coloration scheme is, you know, the dark bars on a lake background, which is opposite of what a northern pike would be. Their coloration depends on where they live and their genetic background. Some of the Great Lakes fish have some really beautiful, you know, spots and and almost tiger-like bars on them. The St. Lawrence muskies are different than 
any muskie I've ever seen. They're also the mm. largest muskies in the world. A lot of our muskies here in Wisconsin, because we have a lot of tannin stained waters, which is that root beer colored water, they mm. tend to be just this beautiful flat olive green with very few markings on them at all. And then you get over in Brian's nape of the neck and they tend to have a little bit more coloration to them and do vary among water bodies over there too. Well, I do want to ask about the name. I got a buddy who insists that they get the name Muskalunge because they have a musky smell and they like to lunge, but I don't exactly believe <laughs> no. him. So do you guys know where Muskalunge comes from? I've read it comes from an Ojibwe word that means great fish. I think I've read that very thing. That, so, yep. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. They are big fish. Okay. <laughs> do they smell? When you get a musky in the boat, you can tell I been a good day. I smell like musky today. What's the difference in smell between musky and pike? I would say musky scent is a little more sweet. Ah. It's kind of a sweet scent that I can't describe. Other than that, pike or <laughs> spotted slime, no. and it's like, oh, I got a pike. Ah. <laughs> That's really interesting. Don't get me wrong. Pike are really cool too, but only after they get to be about 36 inches long. Okay. You don't like those hammer handles? No, thank you. I'll pass. <laughs> What makes a big muskie? Is it environmental? Is it genetics? I think it's a combination of both those. There's definitely a genetic component to it. And, you know, environmental too, having a good prey resource like energy-rich Cisco in a lake can really help grow those okay. things big. Okay. When you're talking about muskie growth, there's a number of different factors that go into it. You know, genetics plays a role, the, the life of the fish. So, you know, in order to grow the largest muskies, you want the ones that grow at a moderate rate for a really long time, as opposed to a fish that grows super fast. They tend to burn out and not live as long, so they don't achieve the ultimate oh, okay. length that some of these others do. Consistently, when you look across the range, I mean, the St. Lawrence has the longest and heaviest fish, and Minnesota is not far behind, and other parts of Canada have some really large and long fish. In Wisconsin, generally our fish inland don't get over about 52, 53 inches. How much does a 50-inch fish weigh? Each fish is different, just like... I'm built kind of stocky, and so I would be a, a high 30-pound fish at 50 inches, and they can be as light as 28 to 35 pounds in that range, okay. usually. Yeah, when I was a kid, this was sort of a fish of legend, and we had tiger muskies out in Utah. Every time we were going to Pineview or Newton Reservoir, I'd spend the nights before just Googling muskies and everything like that. I ended up getting Ed Muskie, the politician, a lot of the time. But so, so I came to associate them, of course, with your neck of the woods, with the Great Lakes area, Minnesota, Wisconsin. But then when I moved south for school, I found that people were talking about catching muskie up on the Tennessee River in Chattanooga or over in South Carolina. And that really shook me because I didn't <laughs> expect them to be that far south. So what is the full extent of this fish's range? Yeah, I think they've been moved around and stocked a lot of different places. I think maybe I read on the internet something like 35 different states have sort of dabbled with muskie management. I fished them in Maine. And I think well, basically so. if you go west into the Dakotas, so there's some really nice fisheries in North and South Dakota and then you go kind of south uh, along Minnesota, Wisconsin, down towards Tennessee, Kentucky, and then you head out to the East Coast, and there's muskies as far south as North Carolina. There's some really nice muskie fisheries out there. James River in Virginia um, is an excellent muskie fishery, and it's actually one of those outliers where it was a stocked population to start, and now it's all naturally producing population, so they don't have to stock it anymore, which mm -hmm. is pretty amazing for a southern muskie fishery. 
Yeah. And then, like you said, all the way up to Maine and then in Canada, as far north as Red Lake in Ontario and way out east into the St. Lawrence into Quebec. Okay. So, okay. I'm curious how, I mean, we've talked about Northern Pike on a past episode, a couple of episodes, but how do these guys interact, if at all? And do they kind of partition themselves out niche-wise with Northern Pike and other Isasids? Yeah, they, they really seem to. We just got done doing a big diet study here in Minnesota, and they do seem to partition out quite a bit. Muskie tend to have a much more diverse, broad diet than Northern Pike. Northern Pike okay. tend to feed a little lower trophically, too. They include a lot more invertebrates in their diet, for example. Then they tend to key in on, you know, yellow perch and sunfish a little bit more specifically than muskie do, but muskie eat those as well. So, yeah. Any kind of habitat differences for those two species, muskies and pike? They probably overlap a bunch, but, you know, muskie, they definitely have this sort of offshore component to their ecology too, or they spend a lot of time, you know, in deeper water chasing cisco and perch and other things. So I think they segregate a little bit seasonally probably. Well, if I'm muskie fishing and I catch a couple pike, I can almost guarantee you there isn't an active muskie in the area at the time because most often, if unless the pike is really big, they can be supper for their cousin. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that oftentimes muskies are preying on some of our northern pike. And in fact, I use northern pike for bait in Wisconsin. It's legal here. So we can throw them on a quick strike. And muskies love to eat those things. It's like a kind of like a hot dog goes down easy. No, you know, sharp spines or anything like yeah, that. True. So that study that Brian alluded to before done by Cam and Galate, he showed that muskies did prey on northern pike a fair amount and he saw some pike in the bellies. So that was enlightening to find out. So you just mentioned using a northern pike as bait. I've seen some massive white sucker lures with like three, four different treble hooks hanging off of them. Can you describe what fishing for a muskie is like using some of this giant tackle? Weightlifting all day long with really lightweight. <laughs> That's a good exercise. Yeah, eight to 10 foot rods with baits that weigh anywhere from six ounces to two pounds. I I don't want to work that hard for them. So if I got a really big bait like that, I tend to troll it. Some of my largest musky lures are 18 inches long. They're kind of ridiculous. Some of them just look ridiculous. (laughs) They are ridiculous. And it seems super big until you see them in the mouth of a muskie and even a relatively small muskie you're like oh okay i can see how they try to eat this thing and we've seen some crazy small fish eat some really big baits and you know the adage of big bait big fish is kind of what we're going for in the muskie world if you want to increase your odds at that usually the bigger the bait the bigger the fish you're going to encounter and you can never go wrong with a perch colored crankbait Ever. Because muskies <laughs> love to eat perch, no matter where they are. Even when I'm fishing Cisco schools out over open water, my bait looks like a perch every time. Because okay. it's it actually stands out against the, the native fish, and they don't care. They, yeah. They'll eat it. I catch more on perch than I do on a Cisco-colored bait out over that open water. Is it true <laughs> that muskies are a lot harder to catch than northern pike? Muskies are known as the fish of 10,000 casts, and they are harder to catch than a pike. Pike, I kind of consider them one of those fish that are dumb and hungry, like a brook trout. If you can put some orange or flashy next to a pike, they, they're like, oh, I got to eat that thing. It's almost genetically programmed into them to eat it. And they have a little more aggression in their feeding habits or they're less selective. I also can tell you that in almost every case, there are more northern pike in the lake than there are muskies. So your odds are higher to catch That's a pike fair. than they are to catch a muskie in the first place. Once you figure out that they are the apex predator in the system, they're going to be on the best habitat there is in predictable locations. It's basically just a matter of time before they end up making a mistake and biting your lure. 
You got to understand the biology, though. And that's something we like to talk about is like, that's why we ask you about the food, kind of what food are they eating? You mentioned it's more maybe offshore. So I think that really informs angling. I'm curious if timing also kind of plays into like what time of year are, are these fish kind of around biologically for folks? Yeah. I mean, when you think about behavior of any fish, right, there's not too many things that they have to do, right? They have to make more fish, right? And during that time, mm -hmm they don't really care about eating because their goal genetically predisposed to make more walleyes or muskies or whatever. In the rest of the year, if you're a small muskie, you avoid being eaten by a bigger muskie. And then once you're over about 34 inches, you don't have to worry about that anymore. And then your only job is to eat, right? Yep. When you think about it that way, you'd be like, oh, these things should be easy to catch. Well, it's not quite that easy. <laughs> they do tend to have, you know, times a year that they tend to bite better. Those times of year maybe don't correspond with the actual season as much as they do with the environmental conditions. So muskies prefer water temperatures right around 65. It's a pretty darn good time to go fishing. You can okay. catch fish on just about any kind of lure and any technique doing anything you want. Early in the year when it's cooler water, they tend to be really ramped up and ready to go. And late mm -hmm. in the fall when females are building up the egg mass, they need to take in a lot of calories. They tend to bite more readily in the fall. I have good luck you know, right until that high 30 degree. Air temperature? Well, water temperature. Oh, water. Okay. Okay. So even almost freezing, you can still catch muskies. It's just miserable to be out there. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the big muskies come in the fall of the year. In fact, the current state record was caught on November 22nd, I think, in 2021. Those guys busted like 100 yards of shelf ice to get their boat out there. And it was like oh, 25 degrees air temperature, but that really big fish came in those conditions. So. Okay. Wow. Dang. That does sound brutal. You talked about when you can identify the right habitat where a muskie's going to be, it starts to become easier to fish for them. So if you're out on a big river or on a lake just surveying, what's the kind of habitat that just gets you excited that you might start to get into it? Well, the first thing I do would be to look at a lake map and pick out the biggest piece of structure. And I would just go, say it's a big reef or a big point, that underwater point that comes off of the shoreline start looking on the windy side. You have to remember these are apex predators and they're ambush predators. So they're going to sit there around whatever structure there is, whether it's vegetation or rocks or logs, or even sometimes they just sit on sand bottom in those situations and they are really fast. I mean, the people I take musky fishing for the first time, they usually slow their bait down when they get a follow. Mm -hmm. And I have to keep telling them, I'm like, look, no matter how fast you reel, that fish can catch your bait. Like we can't reel fast enough to keep it away. Okay. We routinely troll for muskies at four to six miles an hour. That's cooking. They pick out the best spots and the most productive areas to eat with the least amount of effort. Does the figure eight actually work? hundred percent. Yeah. Absolutely. The ones that are hard to catch are the ones that show up and they're kind of iffy on whether or not they want to eat. And then you have kind of entice them with that figure eight technique and some fishing trips in some locations, we catch 80% of our fish on a figure eight right next to the boat. So they mm -hmm. follow in, they have that propensity to do that. And that's much different than Northern Pike. I, I don't know that I've ever had a Northern Pike follow. They just tend to be dumb and hungry and eat out on the cache usually. And muskies have that propensity to kind of maybe inspect their food before they eat it, like a cat mm -hmm. playing with their food before they would eat it. And you can catch a lot of them doing that. Brian, how about you? You've done some sampling out in the field where you've really like been like, that's where I'm going to go check things out. 
You know, edges, transitions, I say, would be pretty good areas to look. You know, trans break-offs, drop-offs, breakpoints, edges of log beds, things like that. Weed edges. Okay. Where do muskie fall in sort of the tier list of kind of northern midwestern sport fishes in terms of what you're concerned with? Like walleye seem to be always a point of contention up there. Are people trying to keep muskie? Is it something that you really have to intensively manage or can you really just let them be and people are doing catch and release and stuff like that? We really do protect these fish a lot with very restrictive minimum size limits. It seems like it's a species that needs that. And there is a lot of controversy with our walleye anglers. That is a really important um, fishery in Minnesota with muskies that get accused Mm. of eating walleye. So that was actually the impetus for our study. We tried to introduce muskie into a a few lakes, I think about eight or so. And we started to meet some really stiff opposition from that. And people really started to get on our case about that. So we felt like we needed some more research on it. What was the study that you did? We did a gastric lavage study on 12 different lakes in Minnesota. Um, And that's where you make the fish throw up its food? Yeah, regurgitate. Yep. And, you know, at the end of the day, we followed very few walleye and and muskie diets, one out of 326 muskies. So they just really aren't eating walleye to any extent. So, Brian, what's the craziest thing you found when you did the gastric lavage with these fish? Like what's like a crazy item they've eaten? Like I've heard ducklings, different things. Like what have you seen? Yeah, like all kinds of different things, like ducks, birds, ringbill gull, several muskrats over the course of all those samples, maybe like four or five. Not super common, but they do eat that stuff. Mud puppies. Yeah, they eat eat some interesting stuff. How about you, Jordan? I think they'll eat anything they can fit in their mouth, honestly. Okay. And that's part of the reason that walleye anglers or perch or, or bluegill anglers don't like muskies is because they hook a fish, right? And it's struggling. And that muskie's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm predisposed to Free eat meal. the struggling thing. And so yep. they, they eat it, right? So then the perch angler, the walleye angler gets all upset because the muskie are eating all their walleye. When in reality, Brian, just that one. Minnesota's diet studies, like they don't eat walleyes. Yeah. They, they don't. Yep. I mean, yep. why would you eat something with spines and pokey things all over its body to poke you in the mouth when you can go over here and eat a sucker? We heard the same thing with grouper, where grouper will come in, Goliath grouper, and, you know, there's concern about them eating the fish you're catching. In reality, they're mostly eating the calico crabs, but they will go after something that's struggling. So that's interesting. Opportunity, right? Ambush predator. I'm going to eat the easiest thing I can find. So when you talk about Wisconsin and, and fishing in general... You know, when you ask a questionnaire about what do you fish for, the grand majority of our anglers will say they're a panfish angler. Bass is probably number two in Wisconsin. Walleyes are up there, but that's mostly for harvest. We do focus a lot of management efforts on walleye. We don't hardly put any efforts towards panfish or bass because they're doing great on their own. Walleyes tend to be going away, kind of what they look like in a lot of places, especially our stocked fisheries and some of our natural fisheries up north. We have a really small number of, of musky anglers relative to all the rest of the anglers. Wisconsin generally sells about a million fishing licenses a year. About 10% of them are musky anglers. And I would say of that 10%, half of it are like me, where that's basically all they fish for. Like a pretty passionate group of folks. Do they kind of self-police themselves with handling and like i've noticed on some of the forums just like how people are holding a muskie and people getting on people's case for not holding correctly i'm curious if they are people pretty bought into that catch and release and good handling so these fish continue to stay big 
Yeah, we're nuts. We're at okay. And we're not nice to each other either. Now, I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm just saying they're super passionate and yep. to the point of being crazy about it. And yeah, you know, back in like 1984, Wisconsin estimated had a harvest of about 66,000 muskies. And at wow. that time, they decided to close the season in the spring because they figured it was too easy for people to, to catch muskies early in the year. And since that time, having nothing to do with that season aspect of it, we've increased size limits through time. I mean, Minnesota has a much larger size limit than Wisconsin does. Our statewide size limit is 40 inches right now. We do have about 8% of our lakes that have 50-inch minimums. We have a 54 on Green Bay. And we do have some zero, no size limits on some lakes that probably shouldn't have muskies in them. From that time, 1984 till now, our harvest has gone from about 66,000 down to about 237-ish. Wow. It's not zero, of course, but it's almost zero harvest. And muskie yeah. anglers do police themselves. The taxidermy industry has really embraced muskie fishing in particular. The replicas. Yep, really nice replicas. And that's been kind of peer pressured into existence by the muskie community so generally, we don't see muskie anglers harvesting fish. We do have over 667 lakes and 100 river segments that have muskies, and we manage four muskies. Now, having said that, it sounds like a lot. Brian has about, yeah, about 100, 100 lakes. Yep. But, <laughs> but their lakes are like 4,000 acres on average. Ours are 800 on average. Okay. And so we have a lot of really small waters with muskies. They have a smaller number of really big lakes that have muskies. And those have some big muskies, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Okay. One question on handling. Do you have any handling tips to keep both the angler and the muskie safe in terms of kind of positioning for holding it and or keeping in the water? 99% of muskie anglers are using these really large landing nets with coated bags and, and they're rubber coated nylon typically for the bag. They're extremely large. And so they act as an in-water live well. So you hook the fish, you scoop them in this big giant net, you leave them there in the net, do the unhooking, prepare all the things you're going to need. If you want to measure the fish, wet your measuring board, you're going to get all your cameras ready. Some people just release the fish. They don't even measure them. And, you know, generally the muskie anglers, once you've done it a few times, they're out of the water for less than 30 seconds. You pull them out, you take your okay. pictures, you put them on a board and then you release them. And one thing that I use to protect myself and the fish is I always handle them with a glove. They do have really sharp gill rakers, and a lot of muskie anglers are masochistic, I think, and they like to have their hands bleed. <laughs> I don't because I don't want to have infected fingers on a week-long muskie fishing trip, but I always wear a glove yeah. to protect myself and the fish so that I can hold it firmly and not drop it on the ground. It helps me take care of the fish. A lot of people like to hold them both sides. I don't. My thought is I want to reduce that stressful situation as quickly as I can. I just kind of slide them over the side and okay. let them swim away. Yeah. Brian, anything to add in terms of like actually extracting the hook or if folks do take it out of the water for some reason? Yeah. So like when you're handling a fish for a photo, holding the fish horizontally is important. Puts a lot of stress yeah. on the fish to hold them vertically like that, right? Keep them out of the water the least amount of time as possible, like Jordan was saying. That's really key. Okay. How do you get the hook out of their mouth with all those teeth? Uh, you know, using a jaw spreader can be a helpful tool, help get those teeth out of your way so you can work in there. And then having the right kinds of pliers too, so you can get in there and extract those hooks. Important tools would be like a long handle pliers with long needle nose pliers where you can grab onto the fish. The jaw spreaders, like Brian mentioned, a hook cutter is important because sometimes <laughs> the hooks are, are solidly in the jaw and you, you do more damage trying to rip them out. So you can pop them out quick with a hook cutter and, and remove them that way. 
hook cutters are also good if the fish is hooked really deep around the gill area because a lot of times mm-hmm. you can cut them instead of ripping them out of the gills. You know, uh, Nick, though, is a lot of blood comes out. Right, right. The larger yeah. individuals, they, you know, imagine trying to hold somebody up by their ears. Right? Yeah. I, I wouldn't do well if you tried to hold me up on my ears. My head might pop clean off my shoulders. So you just want to hold keep... them by the eye socket either or by the opercular. <laughs> Definitely yeah. not if you plan on releasing them, right? Yeah. When it comes to catch and release and kind of this idea of fishing ethics, what can you say about fishing during certain times of the year with respect to water temperature? I guess maybe it's not a big deal up in Wisconsin or Minnesota, but I know some folks in Tennessee and Virginia, they won't fish during the summer months because the fish might not be able to be released. Yeah, I think you do run the risk of some increased handling mortality when those temperatures are high. And a lot of guys will stop fishing during those really warm temperatures. The other thing that people are doing a lot more of is, you know, using forward facing sonars and things and targeting fish in really deep water. So there could be some barotrauma issues too with certain fishing techniques. I got a question about genetics. Do you ever get requests to like stock like a population that has a really good genetics or they're really big? people want them in another lake do you get kind of requests like that or what are some thoughts that go into stocking we get them all the time because of him there was starting in about 2000 which was kind of when minnesota's current muskie program kind of kicked off those fish were stocked in a bunch of lakes in minnesota and they got big quick and yep. our anglers found out about them and they headed over to reap the bounty over there because it was a whole bunch of really big, dumb fish. Yeah. Their response was, hey, we need those fish here because they grow way better than everything else and they're bigger than everything else. And so they wanted to stock the Leech Lakes genetic strain in, in lakes in Wisconsin. And we did a whole bunch of genetic testing in Wisconsin at that time because we were getting a lot of pressure from anglers to say, hey, we don't want your mutt fish anymore. We want these other fish, even though we have Mm. plenty of really large muskies in Wisconsin, they weren't achieving like 55 inches, right? When we looked at some leech lake genetic as it related to Wisconsin genetic, we found out that there's really specific genetic variation amongst populations in Wisconsin and Mm -hmm. outside of Wisconsin. We also found out that the local genetic tends to do the best, Yep. And so we had a number of muskie clubs that stocked leech lake fish in some of our waters. Those were non-native muskie waters mostly, except for one. And in general, those fish didn't do very well. They're currently stocked in near Madison and Lake Monona annually at a, a relatively low density, but they make up about 10% of the total muskie population down there. We've done genetic tests on those fish. So okay. they survive okay down there. They grow fine down there but so do the fish from Wisconsin. So we have a mixed fishery in in Lake Monona that that produces some really big fish of both genetic backgrounds. We have an upper Chippewa stock. We also use a Great Lakes stock that originates from Lake St. Clair. And those Mm -hmm. are the fish that go into Green Bay. That was a population that we reestablished because it was extirpated by commercial fishing. Interesting. So we don't have any policies or any reason to stock leech lake fish here based on their performance. The one lake we... Stocked them in was Lake Wasoda. That's actually on the Chippewa River. And Mm -hmm. we did a genetic analysis out there, and 2.9% of the fish that we captured were of leech lake origin. There's something to be said for natural diversity and how things evolve in certain systems. That's not just true with muskies, right? We know that's true with many different species of fish. Yep. Yeah, we tried their Wisconsin fish over here, and same thing. Grass (laughs) is always greener. Yeah, right? So the... (laughs) 
So the Leech Lake did perform better, but we had even bigger growing pains over here. We actually started our early muskie pro- program with Shupak fish, which were from Shupak Lake and Voyagers National Park. It was kind of okay. an easy place. They could angle them, get the fish. They actually airlifted the adults back to Park Rapids, Minnesota, you know, a couple hundred miles away. And then oh my gosh. did their egg take. Um, and we did that for like 20 years. The problem with that fish is it doesn't grow very big. 36 inches is about as big as they grow, almost like closer to 30 inches and stuff. And so we started stocking those all over the state for about 20 years. And so then we kind of had to sort of unravel all that genetic mishap that we created. Yep. And eventually we got to the Leech Lake and that's exclusively what we stock here in Minnesota now. Interesting. I got a bit of a behavior question for you. This is strictly from personal experience. You have only caught tiger muskie, which are a hybrid between northern pike and true muskie. But uh, I was fishing on Newton Reservoir out in Utah, and the, my dad and I were in this jump, and we see this thing kind of just cruising along. We assume it's a muskrat. We kind of pull up along it. It's a tiger muskie. He's been swimming with its head out of the water for well over a minute, just cruising along. And we've seen that multiple times there and in other places. I'm curious, what is that behavior? Do you see it in true muskies and why are they doing that? Why is this fish swimming with its head out of the water? I do see it with true muskies as well. I don't think anybody's got an answer for you. I certainly don't. They're not. It's the wildest thing I've ever seen. They just want to show you where they are. It's like maybe they're giving you the middle finger or something. <laughs> not sure. Yeah, you know, after we handle them, sometimes they'll do that just sort of as they're recovering. After we've handled them, they'll just kind of hang out on the top and do that kind of surfing along, gulping thing for a period of time. But they go down eventually. <laughs> yeah, like I'm talking about like full head, eyes, nose, lower jaw, clear out of the water. Wow. Did you cast at it when it did that? I tried and I, I couldn't, I didn't have the precision to place it right in its mouth. Wouldn't that be something? We talk a lot about climate change on this podcast. Are you guys concerned about warmer water temperatures in general in both your respective states? Where I would be worried about the impact of climate change on muskie would be their prey source, Cisco. They're pretty susceptible to summer kills. And okay. you know, some of our isotope data shows that they're probably like about 50% of their long-term integrated diet. So that's an important key prey resource, we think, here in Minnesota. So We're losing a lot of our Cisco populations in Wisconsin. We had historic populations that you'll go and survey 10 years ago and you'll go back and try to find them and they're gone. The water's too warm. They don't have a thermal refuge and they're just okay. dead. We, we also found out that a lot of those genetic populations are distinct as well. So it's unfortunate when we lose those because we will u- lose that genetic diversity of those Cisco populations. Muskies like an easy meal. They also like what's present in high abundance. So yeah, if it's got a lot of Cisco to eat, a lot of the fish are eating those. Muskies definitely love eating perch. They also love eating suckers and red horse. Say you have a lake that, that has a good Cisco population in Wisconsin and the Cisco's go away. Mm-hmm. The muskies are going to just switch to something else. They'll probably switch their location. They might switch their behavior. They maybe aren't going to grow and get as big or do as well as they would on a Cisco diet. There will be impacts of all these things. We just can't predict what lake it's going to happen in and when. Yeah, so important to consider kind of the whole fish community, the native fish that are yeah native to that area. In the last like three years or so, there's been three different hot water angling studies on muskies, one of which was on the James River in Virginia. That was done by Dr. Derek Crane and Corey Bauerlein. They tagged a bunch of muskies with radios, and their goal was to angle for them and test mortality. Hmm. They found a couple things that were really important. In general, when water got really warm, it was nearly impossible to get these fish to bite. So when they get stressed thermally, 
the first thing that fish do is stop eating. Yeah, so about a third of the fish that they did catch, if they could catch them at elevated water temperatures, now temperatures over 80 degrees, they did have an increase in mortality. Now, when you consider a river, there's no thermal refuge, really. It's from top to bottom, the same temperature. Dissolved oxygen was not the problem, and it generally isn't, although musky anglers want to always point to dissolved oxygen as being, being the problem because they've been told that warm water holds less oxygen, which is true. It's true, yeah. But in most of our freshwater surface systems, that's never an issue, right? Um, the other part of this study was a pond portion. So we had hatchery ponds, and that's the part that I was involved in personally. We had a pond in Wisconsin. There was some ponds in North Carolina, Maryland. I want to say Virginia. There was about four or five ponds with muskies in them, and we angled for those. Those muskies in the ponds had a higher mortality rate if you could catch them when the water was really hot. But some of the water temperatures were really hot, like 90. So time in the net were really extended. Mortality on those fish was about 50%. Okay. Um, I will say that our fish in Wisconsin did not die when we caught them over 80 degrees. Now, the third study was on Stonewall Jackson Reservoir. That reservoir stratifies, so it had a thermocline with 50-degree water below, 70 above it, and then the surface temperatures got up and over 86 okay. plus. They had radio tag fish in there as well. That was Peter Jenkins and Dr. Hartman from West Virginia University did that. They found that those fish were hanging out right at the thermocline where they were comfortable in that 70-degree water. And it didn't matter that they caught those fish in that water, brought them up to the surface and let them go. They only had 10% mortality. So those fish would actually bite readily. They weren't harder to catch. And mm -hmm. they withstood that high temperature surface water, no problem. As long as the fish got back down, they were good to go. And when you think about it, that 20 pound mass of muscle that is a muskie, right, on average, it takes a long time for that mass of muscle to heat up, Yep. right? If that fish was stuck at the surface for hours, it probably would have issues with mortality. But if they got back down, which all of the rest of them did, they didn't show higher mortality. So I think that there's a little bit of misinformation out there regarding warm water. And muskie anglers stop fishing, almost all of them, even in Wisconsin. So Jordan, I want, I want to hear you blast out your microphone and tell us the most exciting muskie you've ever caught. Like, what's the most exciting story you have? My son, who is 13, I build my own bucktails for muskies, and he saw me in my shop, and he said, Dad, can I make one? Sure. So he makes a bucktail. I'm like, this thing is never going to work. Puts it on, goes out, and 20 minutes later, he catches his first muskie casting on wow. bait that he made, That's and cool. it was a tiger. Okay. Oh, nice. So he caught the unicorn muskie on a bait he made that I'm like, is never going to work. Yeah, that's awesome. Brian, do you have anything else you'd like to just add for folks who aren't familiar with the muskie, just why they should maybe care about this fish without having seen it before? Oh, they're just such big, unique fish. I mean, there's nothing quite like it. I guess the thing that's closest to it would be like lake sturgeon. I like them too. They're mm. just low density, sort of special, very large fish. So okay. come fish for them. Yeah. Awesome. Anything from you, Jordan? Any final thoughts for Yeah, folks? sure. I think the final thing I'd like to add is, you know, you can't go wrong fishing in Wisconsin or Minnesota or, or any of these places for muskies. There's fantastic fisheries throughout the muskie range. Fishing for muskies has never been better than it is right now. In Wisconsin, we're catching bigger fish than we ever have at a higher rate than we ever have. And 
it's a tribute to the anglers. It's a tri- tribute to management, and it's just a tribute to everybody involved in the program, as well as cooperating you know, agencies like Minnesota DNR and, and other people that we work with. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you too very much. This was fascinating. Really cool fish. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Bet. Okay, we'll get out there and enjoy all the fish, especially the musky. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebeck, and my co-host is Guy Iro. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. Produced and story edited by Tasha A.F. Lemley. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Post-production by Alex Brower. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Regional Office of External Affairs. We honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individual tribes, states, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish. I got to ask, Jordan, are you in a band by any chance? Maybe like a Metallica uh, cover band? You kind of got a Kirk Hammett thing with the goatee and the nails. and. Yeah, I've, I've heard James Hadfield before. But, oh, that, that's uh, who I meant. Well, is that who I meant? I don't know. Kirk, I don't Kirk know. Kirk is the guitarist. Kirk's but, the guitarist. Uh, oh, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I guess, Kirk, yeah, I guess they both play guitar, but uh, I am not in a band. I just paint my nails if that's what you're getting at. Well, it wasn't just that. It was the goatee and the hair, and you look like you could be a front man for them. I'm in the musky band. There you go. <laughs> Leader of the Wisconsin musky band. Nice. <laughs>